Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you. My name is Rick Thompson. I want to welcome those who are, who are watching online. Um, that's a funny video kind of highlighting that sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Amen? Sometimes we send mixed messages. Sometimes it's what you say, too. But we got to be careful of those mixed messages. We've been uh, in a series that we've entitled Fight, where we've been kind of learning to ways to fight for our marriages and families and not with them. Inspired by the book of Nehemiah, uh, uh, which outlines what God did through Nehemiah to help rebuild and restore the families and the nations of Israel at the time. Now, the title of this morning's message is, is Fighting for Our Marriages and Not In It. Okay, amen? And, and if we could figure that out, we'd go a long way. Now, the truth is, everyone wants a great marriage. And no one ever said, when I grow up, I want to struggle with my marriage. Anyone ever said, I want to struggle with a marriage? No. I want to struggle in my relationships. But how many know it happens often? Happens all the time. The question is why? And I'm going to give you a couple, two reasons why it happens in our marriages. uh, Number one is, believe it or not, we are all sinners and we're married to sinners. We're all sinners and we're married to sinners. As beautiful as that little lady is, she's a sinner with sinful tendencies. And as good-looking as your, your man may be, he's a sinner as well, given to pride and stubbornness and selfishness, just like you. So it shouldn't surprise us that we all at times kind of rub each other the wrong way, considering we're, we're all trying to do marriage in the midst of a broken world. This world is broken. Come on, somebody. And, and, and so and it's, it didn't just break when the coronavirus came along. It just seems more broken now. <laughs> but it's been broken for a while. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should, listen, no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so in this passage, he kind of points out that our natural inclination is to, is to quote-unquote, live for ourselves, to live self-absorbed, self-centered lives. It's to dream selfish dreams and to love ourselves more than the person that we're married to. So, so, so reason number one as to why we fight is we're all sinners and we're married to sinners. And generally, we want what we want when we want. And that person next to us is sometimes just getting in our way. I'm just being honest. Come on, somebody. The second most common reason why we fight is we, we have unrealistic expectations. Write that down. Unrealistic expectations of each other. Now, the truth is we, we, we treat marriage like a vacation pamphlet or, or a picture on a restaurant menu. Have you ever noticed that when you, when, uh, when you get to the destination, it never looks exactly like the picture? I, I shared a few years ago that my wife and I was on a cruise, and, and they offered horseback riding through the Mayans. And it was a picture of the two couples 
on a horse riding side by side, and the, and there's the ocean over to the right, and the, and then the mine ruins on the left. You, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've all seen the picture. And so we said, you know what, that would be a, a fantastic experience. Let's try that. And we paid the ungodly amount of money <laughs> to, to, to do it. You know, you get, sometimes it's once-in-a-lifetime things, you know. And so what they failed to tell us in the, in the picture, in the brochure, was it was an hour away on a broken-down school bus on a dusty, dirty road with holes in it. Boom, 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 all the way there. And finally, when we finally got to the destination, it was, a, it was an old, one-down ranch, and the horses looked, well, the horses looked like they've, they've, they've seen better days, yes. Mine was a mangy little horse that they gave me. There was a couple of many of us that were on this thing. Mine was a mangy horse, and Deb's was a little bit bigger than mine. I, 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 and you didn't get a chance to choose. They just kind of gave you what you wanted. And so, you know, we got to make the best of it. And so then we got on our horses, and we started on our way. And immediately, <laughs> you know, you, in, in your mind, you're, you're on the horse together, and you're with your wife, and you and you're sharing lovely, you know, glances together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. You know, as you're galloping in the, in, the, in the ruins. But that's not what happened. Her horse took off. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and, and she couldn't slow the thing down. And mine would not go at all. And, and, and then they said, you know what, just, you know, just stay on the thing. The, the horses know the way. They, 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 it's a trail they take all the time. And so, and so my horse kept veering off to the right or to the left. It was a mangy horse. It kept wanting to eat the bushes. But they told me, they said, listen, all you have to do is let the horse know who's in control. You just pull to the left or pull to the right. And so I pulled to the left to get the horse back on the thing. And the horse pulled back. And then in that moment, I realized I am not in control. This 1,000-pound horse is in control. And we finally, finally, we get to, oh, the mine ruins. Don't blink because the mine ruins wasn't what was in the brochure. It was these little rocks that my children could have set up on the side of the road. It wasn't like the pamphlet at all. And finally, we got to the end of this thing. I think my wife got there 20 minutes before me. <laughs> and it wasn't what we experienced. It wasn't what the pamphlet said at all. Or have you ever been to a, 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 see the menu at, at, at a restaurant? Or let's not even take a fancy restaurant. You ever been to Subways? Anyone ever noticed that the picture above the serving station doesn't exactly look like the sandwich that they give you? I mean, I one of my favorites is the tuna fish sub, and, and the one on the thing looks like it's bursting with tuna, and oh yeah, my mouth starts to water, and everything like that, and then when you see them take out the bread, they take out this one little scoop of tuna fish, and they smear it on the entire piece of, you know, thing of bread. You don't have a tuna sandwich, you've got a tuna smear, tuna flavored, yeah, that's it. And, and lettuce and tomatoes, and when they give it to you, what you've got is a lettuce and tomato sandwich with a hint of tuna on it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen? And, and, so, and so a lot of us, we treat our marriage that same way. When you, when you find that one, 
You tell yourself that this is the yin to my yang, the salt to my pepper, the peanut butter to my jelly. Amen? And when it doesn't quite measure up to our fantasy of what we think it ought to look like, it kind of blows our preconceived fairy tale ideas out of the water. And rather than facing things the way they are, we play the, I call it the blame game. And the battle rages on. Or, or, or we, we, rather than seeing things and dealing with things the way they should be, it's, it, uh, uh, out of fear, it's easier to go into denial. And we play the denial game. Nothing to see here. Nothing wrong with our marriage. And we try to sweep things under what I call that big red 70-style carpet called, called denial that we think no one will notice. No one will see it. But the truth is, how do we know that people see it? People see it. And, and she sees it. He sees it. The kids see it. And unless you kind of figure out what to do with it, you, you're setting up the next generation to kind of fall into the same dysfunctional pattern that you find yourself in. And the truth is, we live in a world that's terribly broken, and your marriage exists in the middle of it. But the good news is, so does God's redemptive grace. Amen? So does God's word, and so does his will for our lives. And if we would listen to what God has to say, he's given us tools and weapons to strengthen and to, and to kind of guide us. He's given us his, his word, of which the Bible says is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen? He's given us his, his son as a lamb that, that takes away the sins of the world. And so he, he can take away all our guilty stains. And so we don't have to pretend that everybody's nothing to see here. It's all perfect. We're all sinners. We've all got issues. And so he, give, he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower and to strengthen us. And he also gives us love and wisdom to heal and to strengthen our marriage. But we need to be realistic. Turn to someone and say, we've got to get realistic. We got to get realistic about our expectations, about our struggles and our fears and our faults. And we need a fight plan that's based on God's word and rests on his grace. And so for the next few minutes, that's what we're going to talk about, God's fight plan for our marriages. The first one, the first one, that if we listen to these things, it's going to improve things in our lives. The first one is we need to fight by committing yourself, yourself, someone say yourself, to daily growth. And so when I say yourself, I'm talking about the man in, or the woman in the mirror. Remember that Michael Jackson song? Because for so many of us, so many people, we are committed to changing the other person so that we can feel better about our relationship. What we're not committed to is changing ourselves. So we need to commit ourselves to daily growth. Now, a few years ago, I was having issues with our lawn. It used to be a, a bit of a disaster, filled with all kind of weeds, three or four different types of weeds. It, it, our lawn was basically weeds. And, and, and it was quite embarrassing because, and just complaining about it didn't help. I, I basically had to do something about it. And I did a couple of three things. The first thing we did was, at the time, was we fixed the sprinkler system so that it could start to get watered on a regular basis. The second thing I did was we hired Scott's Lawn Maintenance to come out quarterly to spray the lawn uh, with weed and feed. And, then the, and, and the third thing was that we started to cut the grass on a regular basis. Amen? And so what would happen is that the normal grass started to grow and to flourish, 
And as we administered the weed and feed, the, the, the grass took root and the weeds started to die. And only occasionally a weed would start to pop up where I'd have to go out and physically have to pull the thing up. And, and, and now it's not the best lawn on the block, but it's pretty good. It's better. I'm proud of it. It's not the envy, but I'm not embarrassed. Now, how many know that that's similar with our marriages? And with our marriages, it's relatively easy to get married. All you got to do is plan a wedding, say I do. But how many know it's much harder to stay married? Come on, somebody. Here's a quotable quote. A good marriage is not something you find. It's something you make. A good marriage is not something you find, it's something you make, which means that just complaining about it is not going to get the job done. It's going to take effort. In Jeremiah 1.10, it says this, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. In other words, God raised up Jeremiah at a time where change had to take place in Israel. And if things weren't going to get, uh, things were going to get built up, it meant that something had to be torn down. Something had to be destroyed. If things were going to be planted and nourished, it meant that first they had to deal with the weeds that were going on all around them. Folks, if we want a good marriage, we have to be committed to growth. And that means that I, that I might have to deal with the weeds in my life. I might have to deal with the weeds of pride or the weeds of anger. Some of us, we have this click temper, and the person we keep clicking on is the person closest to us. I have to deal with the weeds of selfishness. Again, I'm talking about the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. I'm asking her to change her ways. For some of us, it's weeds of Busyness, you're just too busy. You're running here and there. You, you constantly have to go, go, go. There's weeds of lust and weeds of fear and weeds of insecurity. For some, it's weeds of laziness. You, or you kind of let yourself go physically or spiritually, which is easy to do in today's world because they want you to just stay home. And so you're sitting home and you're watching TV and you're eating and Becoming a spreading commodity. And if any of these things are adversely affecting or choking your marriage, you, you, we can't be afraid to get dirty and to work at starting to pull some of these things up. Again, a good marriage isn't something you find. It's something you make. And, and the good news is, the good news is it doesn't matter how bad the weeds have gotten. If, if you will get started with God's grace, he'll give you all the tools you need to weed and feed, water, and maintain the garden of your marriage. Amen? To the point where it may not become the best marriage ever, but it will become better. And, and, and better, my friend, is good. Amen? He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you strength and forgiveness to accomplish the things that he wants to see improved in your marriage. Now, we need forgiveness in our marriage. Amen? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. For some of you, this might seem overwhelming because you're not sure if there's any hope left. Remember this. If, if you're a child of God in a marriage or a relationship, there's always a third person in that relationship. 
There's always a third person in that relationship. With every situation, there's you, there's your spouse, and there's your God. Amen. Amen. What, what did the angel say to call him? Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. And so what seems impossible with man is possible with God. The Bible says one plants and another waters, but it's God who causes it to grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Ecclesiastes 4.12 speaks of that third strand. It says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Folks, who, who's that triple braid? Who's that third braid? Say God. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he's committed to helping to plant seeds of fruit in our lives to take the place of the things that must be uprooted and destroyed. Galatians chapter 5 tells us of the fruit of the Spirit that he wants to plant in our lives. In 5 verse 22 it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen, listen what, what the Holy Spirit produces. He produces love. He produces joy. Anybody need joy in their lives? Come on, somebody. It produces peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I, I couldn't help myself. Yes, you can. You can help yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is no law against these things. Amen. That's the, that's the work of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are the byproducts of him being there. So who wouldn't want these things growing in the garden of our hearts and, and the lives in our marriages? But in order to see construction and growth, some things have to be destroyed. And God promises to be with us in the midst of the transformation. So the first thing we need to do is we need to fight by committing ourselves to daily growth. Let me give you number two. We need to fight by committing to building a relationship of love. Now, we have to be careful when we say this because the truth is it's, it's easier said than done because many of us have never seen love, true love model correctly in our lives. We, we've seen the Hollywood version, which is more akin to lust than love, and we've seen what's modeled in our families to see to see it start out well, and for too many of us to see it fall apart or end poorly. So for, for many of us, our concept of love is skewed or flawed or just plain broken, and that's because we failed to look in the right place. How many of you know it's been right under our nose the whole time? It's called the Word of God, amen? 1 John 4.10 says this, and 11. This is real love. Listen, listen. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. Amen? So the Bible is telling us that absolutely the best definition of love we can find comes from Jesus and Jesus on the cross. That God's sacrifice of love is the ultimate definition of what love is, is like and what it does. And so for the next few moments, I want to just touch on what real love does or what real love is. Real love, listen, is not forced. Write that down. It's not forced. How many know you can't force someone to love you? It has to be 
willing. John 10, 18 says, no one can take my life, Jesus speaking from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. So it's not forced, it's willing. And then secondly, it's sacrificial or self-sacrificing. No such thing as a love without sacrifice. It, it, it calls us to go beyond our own wants, needs, and, 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 and to invest time and energy and resources into someone else. That includes service and patience and kindness and forgiveness. Someone say forgiveness. But so many of us were in relationships where, where people have a hard time forgiving and that's not biblical. If you have a hard time forgiving or asking for forgiveness, you may have a pride issue. Because the scripture says we're all sinners. Come on, somebody. None of us have it all right all the time. And so we keep that in mind. Number three, real love keeps the good of, other, of the other person in view. It wants the best for the one they love and are willing to work to deliver. Philippians 2, 5, and 8 says, Your attitude should be the same, someone say the same, as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we need to ask ourselves, why did Jesus do this? Because he knew we needed to be rescued. When he did it, he did it for us, amen? Because we couldn't help ourselves. He was looking at the needs of others, of many others. And so real love take, keeps the good of other people in view. Number four, real love doesn't demand something in return. I will love you if you love me back, sort of like a quid pro quo. But if the moment you stop doing X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to withhold my love from you. That's not real love. That's, manip that's manipulation. It doesn't demand something in return. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Watch this. While we were still, what's the word used? Sinners. Christ died for us. One translation says, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to become his friends before he acted. If Jesus waited for us to be able to love God first, how many of you know we'd all be lost? We would, we would all be lost. So it doesn't demand something in return. Let me give you the fifth one. Real love is oftentimes undeserved. It's undeserved. Now the truth is that's when it's needed the most. When the person or the people around you don't deserve it. Now someone might be saying, well, Pastor Rick, how is this even possible? This is difficult. And I'm telling you, it's only possible through the presence of God in our lives, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first 
loved us. Does that make sense? We cannot do it without God's help. It's impossible. So what's the first one we should fight for? The fight plan? Fight by committing yourselves to godly growth. What's number two? Fight by committing to building a relationship of love, real love. Let me give you the third and final one. Fight by, and this is probably one of the most important ones, committing to protecting your marriage. Make a commitment to protect your marriage. Folks, with an over 50% divorce rate, even in the church in this country, there's a war on marriages. Now, I keep hearing, particularly in the news, Texas just passed a law protecting the unborn, that now it's being turned into, it's a war on women that we're hearing about. I keep hearing about a war on women whenever you, whenever you talk about saving babies. And my thing is, half the aborted babies are women. Come on, somebody, think about that. The millions and millions of babies are women. If there's a that's the real war on women. Abortion is a war on women. Or they're passing laws making it legal for transvestites or, or biological men to compete in women's sports. And, and crazy enough, the, the, those biological men are winning legally. That's the war on women. Come on, somebody. There's also a war on marriages. You may have a good marriage, but it doesn't necessarily make your marriage safe. The devil is busy. And Satan and our flesh and our culture. I mean, just over the last eight, ten years, culture has changed. It used to be the scripture says the model is what the Bible says, male and female, God created them. Throwing that all. It, now the man ain't important. The woman's not important. They can choose their own, whatever gender they are. Bad is good and good is bad. And everybody just, yup, yup, yup. They're just, they just lapping it all up, lapping up all the garbage. And they're getting off the foundation of God's word. And the problem with getting off the foundation of God's word is my Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not changing because we are changing. The only thing that's going to happen is God's going to be here and you're going to be somewhere out there. And God's going to say, anytime you're ready to turn back around, to my way of doing things, you just come on back. But in the meantime, you're going to be dealing with the consequences of your behavior for walking away from the truth of God's word. The Bible says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And we are in an environment where what is truth is the question of the day, or truth is whatever they make it up to be. And what's true for me is not true for you, and what's true for you is not true for me. True, truth is truth no matter what. 
And it's got to be based on God's word. Amen? And so Nehemiah 4.13 says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Someone say exposed places. Posted them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. I like the way the message said it. It says, So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families and their swords and lances and bows. And so, and so you notice the words vulnerable or exposed places because the marriages that work are not the ones who hide their heads in the sand or put each other on blast because of their shortcomings. Those aren't the marriages that work. If you're constantly nitpicking about your significant other's shortcomings, you, you are doing damage to your relationship. Those aren't the ones that work. It's the ones who are aware of each other's shortcomings and their vulnerabilities, and they're willing to fight to protect each other in those areas. I was getting quiet in here. They work hard to guard each other from the attacks of life because, listen to me, if he goes down, it's going to affect you too. And if she goes down, the whole family's in trouble. And so a good marriage is not something you find. It's something you make. And people with good marriages work really hard on having good marriages. That uh Listen to me. And they don't stop working at it. Turn to someone and say, keep working at it. Don't give up on your marriage. And let me just get a little pet peeve, too. There's so many people, when they get into these stressful situations, because you have one sinner dealing with another sinner, that your go-to is the D word. You know what the D word is? The battle happens, something happens, somebody leaves the toilet seat up, or you're fighting with the kids, and, or, you know, whatever it is. And then you're constantly bringing up, well, I want a divorce because I can't get my way. Do yourself a favor. Take divorce off the table. Just take it off the table. Because all you're doing is doing damage to your relationship when it's constantly being brought up in the midst of an argument. But let me give you two powerful weapons that will help you and help your family. Write this down. Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful. What does it say? Is that possible? It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. But you can be thankful in all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Folks, if we're going to love the way we should, we should live in prayer and worship. 
and daily asking God's help and the resources that only he can provide. And when I learned to become that person where Jesus says, God is looking for true, true, true worshipers, those who worship me in spirit and truth. When, when I become a praise and a worship person and living that way through my adversities, in spite of my adversities, because we will have them, it puts the onus on God to come through against the giants in our lives. And, and, and it will be like David. Remember we talked about David a few weeks ago? It would be like David when he's facing his giant, and he says, I come against you not with sword and I mean, spear and shield. I come against you. He didn't even say with my little rock. What did he say? I come against you in the name of the Lord, my God. Amen? Paraphrase. And so that's what praise and worship does. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Listen. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus came and he gave us a command. He says, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he's saying, once we get our vertical praise right, once we get this area of our lives right, what's going on with us, with God, this will tend to work itself out as well. Does that make sense? And so God is asking us to get this right, <laughs> to, to, to come to him and to make him a priority in our lives. And when we, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he says all these things start to add. It will be added to us as well. Because it's in the context of my walk with the Lord that I, I make the necessary changes that I need to make regarding the people around me. And don't be that person, that person who's walking in stubbornness that says, I got this all I don't need to make any changes. I'm talking to the man in the mirror. It's easy to say, God, change her or change him to meet my needs. What's more difficult is to say, God, change me so that I can be the man or the woman of God you call me to be and so that I can be the example that you were to me to the world around me especially to my spouse, my wife, or my husband. Does that make sense? And so as we come to a close, let's make sure we get this right. Because I firmly believe that once this is right, now we're in a position to hear from heaven to deal with the relationships that are going this way. Because it opens my spirit to change. It opens my spirit to hearing the Lord saying, you know what? That wasn't a very kind thing that you said to her. You're not being very patient. And my fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and self-control. So as we come to the close of our service today, let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes and 
And let's get the vertical right first, and then we'll deal with the horizontal. If you've not yet accepted Jesus as your saving your Lord, that's your first step. Let me encourage you to surrender your life to him. Say something like this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I come before you today and I ask you to forgive me for my sins, to come into my life, to come into my heart, to make me a brand new person in you. Open my spirit up to your spirit, to your leading and to your guiding that I wouldn't be influenced by culture, but I'd be influenced or, or, or the world, but I'll be influenced by your word. Change me. I surrender my life to you. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in a relationship right now and there's some sticking areas that are going on, certainly you can pray for your spouse, but at the same time, pray that God will change you your response, your behavior to be more loving, more forgiving, more patience, more patient, more kind. Father, we humble ourselves today. You gave us a beautiful example of love. Help us to walk it out and work it out and to fight for our marriages, our relationships instead of against each other. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.